morning, everyone. Uh, it's lovely to be here with you this morning. My name's Marshall. I'm one of the pastors here at Southwest Evangelical Church. And we're in the middle of a series, uh, a, a four-part series on four uh, crucial questions. Uh, and today, we're looking at the issue of failure. That failure doesn't define you. Uh, you might recognise there the voice of Barack Obama, former US President, and that, that clip was taken from um, uh, a number of speeches that he made on success about fighting to succeed and not letting failure drag you down. And he famously says at the beginning of that clip, you can't let your failures define you. You can't let your failures define you. And that's what we're going to be exploring this morning. We're going to see firstly that there's something very freeing in these words by Obama. It gives us a perspective on failure that enables us to use it to teach and to mould us rather than crush us. And in our society we are in the privileged position of having the resources to make bad decisions and failing, but then being able to make a fresh start and new beginnings. But not every cloud has a silver lining. What if I don't end up learning from my mistakes? As Stephen shared this morning in that powerful testimony. In my second point, I'm going to argue that in our culture, we can't afford that sort of failure. In a world where I define who I am, if who I am ends up being a failure, then that can crush me. That can be unforgivable. And then if I fail others we find ourselves increasingly facing a world that cannot forgive us because we threaten their identity and sense of self. And then in our last point, we're going to see that there is a way out. There is a way out where failure doesn't crush us. In God's world, Failure is the way that we find forgiveness and we find restoration. Rather than being something we have to fight against and deny, God uses our failure to bring us to himself. So that's where we're going this morning. Let's pray and ask for God's help to teach us this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word for this powerful story of Peter that we're going to be looking at later. We thank you that you are a God of second and third and fourth and many, many more chances. We thank you that failure doesn't have to define us, not because of anything in ourselves, but because of you. We pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. What's inspiring about that Barack Obama video is that 
it helps us to see that failure doesn't have to end the road, be the end of the road for us. That we don't have to be paralysed by fear of failure because failure can actually be part of the journey to success. It tells us in our first point that we can be free to fail. We can be free to fail. There's something very encouraging about hearing that story about Michael Jordan, perhaps the greatest basketball player that ever lived. How he failed so many times before he succeeded. Obama says in the video, some of the most successful people in the world are the ones who've had the most failures. We could look at many other examples. Einstein famously uh, was told on a school report by his teacher that he would never amount to much. Elvis Presley failed music in high school. Then when he got his first gig as a performer, his manager told him, you ain't going nowhere, son. You ought to go back to driving a truck. That's the job that he had. What's encouraging about these stories is that it shows us that maybe, just maybe, there's hope for us ordinary people. That if we don't succeed at something, perhaps through hard work and dedication, I can turn things around and perhaps make something of myself. And we are blessed in Australia with having a culture of choices, lots of them. We get lots of freedom to choose our own path. So, for example, even though there's so much pressure on our HSC, our, our leaving certificate for Year 12s, if we don't get the ATAR that we hope for in the HSC, there's still other paths to get into the course at university that I want to do, or other career paths, uh, even if I don't do as well as I hoped. And then if our career doesn't work out, it's easier than ever for us to change job, change courses midstream, make a new start. Failure doesn't have to be the end for us. But this freedom that we have to make our own way in life is a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword because it gives us lots of options on the one hand, but then it also puts everything onto us, whether I succeed or not, and it puts a huge burden on me on the other hand. Obama says early on in the video, no one is going to give you anything you have not earned. The message in that is that it's all up to you. The responsibility is on you to earn your own way in life. Hearing about Michael Jordan, Elvis Presley, Albert Einstein turning things around from failure to success, they're wonderfully inspiring, but what if you're not a Michael Jordan? What if you're not one in the 10,000 people with that kind of natural talent? What if you're just like most of us? 
In the past couple of weeks, we've seen that the messaging in our culture is that who I am is up to me. I have the freedom to create my own identity, my place in the world. But that freedom is also a burden because it's up to me to stand out. It's up to me to create my identity. It's up to me to put my own stamp on this world. But if I fail, that's all on me. If I fail, I've got no one but myself to blame. And that can be crushing. Our second point is that when I create who I am, I can't afford to fail. And what I face is unforgiveness. Let me give you an example. Let's say I set my heart on becoming a doctor. Not just an ordinary doctor, but a specialist at that. Let's say a cardiologist. Now, I know that's difficult to imagine, but just for a moment, pretend that I'm smart enough to become a doctor and a cardiologist. So I study hard at school. I get the ATAR I need. I get into medicine. I meet Hamish, our doctor, our re- one of our resident doctors here at SWEC. And Hamish encourages me and helps me along the way and says, you can do this, Marshall. I keep studying hard to fulfil my dreams. Eventually I graduate as a doctor. I pass my exams. I become a doctor. But then, then I study again and I study harder still to do the specialist exam. And I fail. I don't make it. Even though I'm a doctor, my dreams of becoming a cardiologist are crushed. For years, this is what has defined me. That's what's given me my sense of value. Because it's all been up to me. I haven't got anyone outside myself telling me who I am or what I'm worth. Who I am has become inseparable with me becoming a specialist and when I fail my world falls apart I've got nothing or no one telling me that I have any value outside of that I'm now defined as a failure Tim Keller the late pastor and writer says this he says success or failure is now seen as the individual's responsibility alone. Our culture tells us that we have the power to create ourselves and that puts the emphasis on independence and self-reliance. But it also means that society adulates winners and despises losers, showing contempt for weakness. And so there's no place in Obama's story for the thousands of basketball hopefuls who, like Michael Jordan, missed out on a place on the high school basketball team, but then they never made the NBA. All their hard work ended up being for nothing. There's no place in his video for the also-rams, the failures. If my identity is up to me, and I have only my achievements to define what I am, 
then I have to succeed or else I am nothing. And if I never get that promotion at work, if I never make it to team leader, if my family ends up being dysfunctional and my kids end up not turning out how I dreamed and me feeling a failure as a a parent, then failure ends up defining me and that's crushing. And there's no place to find redemption or hope and I can't forgive myself because I alone am responsible for my own destiny. But then I can't afford to let to fail others either. Because often in the world of self-fulfillment and creating my own identity, there's no room for forgiveness. Let me try by giving you uh, let me give you another example. This is uh, Shreya Bedonia. She calls herself a self-love coach. I don't know if you've ever been to a self-love coach. Didn't know they existed until a couple of days ago. She writes this. She says, Our elders imposed the philosophy of forgiveness on us. People were sweeter, more graceful and more innocent in their lives. There wasn't so much competition and exposure as today. Their philosophy of forgiveness may not be appropriate for our time. She goes on. It's me versus them now. Will I allow someone who's broken my trust again to break it again? Of course not. In a nutshell, I don't give people second chances because I've recently learnt the importance of self-respect and I do not want to go through what hurt me again. I have set high standards for people to enter my close circle. Once you lose my trust, there's no coming back. Now, of course, not everyone is like uh, Shreya Bedonia. Thankfully, forgiveness and grace and kindness have not disappeared from our world. But I'm painting in broad brushstrokes here. Her philosophy is just the natural outworking of a worldview that says my sense of value and self-worth is all up to me. She says, I have recently learnt the importance of self-respect and I don't want to let anyone else hurt me again. You see, when we have to define and make up our own sense of value and self-respect, that's a very fragile thing. And if you fail me in some way, then that's a threat to me. It's a threat to my identity and self-worth. The world becomes all about me and my place in it. And other people can threaten that. There's a sense in which I'm in competition with you. We are all trying to make our own statement in the world. You can see in Shreya Benadia's words a hard edge and a ruthlessness to her attitude to other people. Other people are instruments to serve her. And if your actions don't suit her, if you fail her in some way, then you're out on your ear. 
No second chances. We see this kind of ruthlessness played out in the public world, often in social media, don't we? There's a distinct lack of forgiveness and grace. If your views don't align to mine, then you're in trouble. And that's at least in partly a, a result of having to create our own identity. We are searching for our place in the world where we belong and so we often seek out a particular tribe to belong to that can give us a sense of identity and we define ourselves by who's in and who's out and we can't tolerate other views that don't agree with mine. You're wholly different, you're outside if you don't agree with my view and there's no place for you in my world. Just one example of how that plays out in the world of social media. This is um, Sir Tim Hunt. He's a distinguished scientist from the UK who won the Nobel Prize in 2001 for his work on cell division. In 2015, he gave a talk at a World Conference of Science Journalists in Seoul, Korea. He was talking about the achievements of women in uh, his scientific field. And in a very poor act of judgment, Tim Hunt began his speech with these words. He said, let me tell you about my trouble with girls. You fall in love with them, they fall in love with you. When you criticise them, they cry. Very poor act of judgment. But it was clearly meant as a joke because he then went on to transition to the main point of his speech by saying, but seriously. Other people, though, did not see the humour in Tim Hunt's words. There was a huge outcry on social media uh, which led to him being forced to resign his job at the university where he worked. Now, what he said was completely unacceptable. It was demeaning to women. It was sexist. There's no place for saying that even as a joke. But it was said as a joke and it needs to be seen in the context of his career and track record which uh, was consistently upholding, uh, championing women in his scientific field and prom promoting them to be treated in exactly the same way as his male peers. But Tim Hunt was publicly shamed without being given a chance to defend himself and a strong case can be made, I think, that, uh, that the reaction was harsh and over the top. It was ruthless and unforgiving. Now, why am I telling you this story? I'm giving it as an example of um, an instance where People cannot tolerate failure, at least certain types of failure. In our world, we cannot afford to fail. We can't afford to fail ourselves because when we're failing in the things that define us, then we are unable to forgive ourselves. And we've just seen that we can't afford to fail others 
to cross a line and fail in relationships or with failing to live by certain standards because we can often be met by a ruthless intolerance and unforgiveness. So as a result, we fear failure. Studies have found that Gen Z is the most risk-averse generation. We are becoming increasingly fearful of failing and so we play it safe. We look for a career, life choices, marriage choices even, uh, that, that we deem to be safe. We make decisions that we think are safe. And yet at the same time, we are still inspired by Obama's words that we have heard on the video that you can't let failure define you. You have to let your failures teach you. Because deep down, we believe that failure shouldn't define us. Deep down, we believe that we ought to have a value that goes beyond what I achieve or what I don't achieve. And that when we do fail, we believe that that shouldn't crush us. We believe in the power of a second chance, the power of grace, forgiveness. That, the, that God or the universe or, or even other people should give us. They ought to offer us forgiveness and the chance to start over. Deep down in our bones, we believe that the world should operate on the basis of principles like forgiveness and grace. And friends, I want to suggest that we believe that because the God who created us made us to operate that way and he himself operates that way. He is a God of second chances and third and fourth and, and so it goes. He is a God who specialises in new beginnings based on grace and forgiveness. That's who he is. A God who delights to welcome us back. You and I who have absolutely failed him. And the thing is that God turns things upside down. Instead of having to fear failure and not being able to afford to fail, in God's world, we can't afford not to fail. We can't afford not to fail because that is the path to forgiveness. I want to tell you a story from the life of Jesus and his followers. Jesus had 12 followers they were called disciples who did everything with him for three years of his public ministry. They were totally invested in Jesus. They went with him everywhere. They lived with him. They followed his teaching. They'd given up family. They'd given up their jobs. Basically everything to follow Jesus. Especially Peter. Peter was the leader of the disciples. He was their spokesman. He was the one who did the talking for them. And he was always the first to put up his hand to volunteer for Jesus. 
He was the boldest one among them. He was the one, at the, the first one at the beginning of the line. One day Jesus told his disciples that he was going to leave them. He'd already told them that he would be captured by his enemies and be killed. But then he said he would rise from the dead and return to his father. But they didn't really understand all that. Peter then asked Jesus where he was going. We pick up our story in John chapter 13. In John 13, from verse 36, Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life with you, for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. That was unthinkable. Peter? Peter, the first to stand up for Jesus? Peter, the boldest and bravest of the disciples? Peter, disowning his master three times? Well, a short time later, things started to unfold just as Jesus predicted. He was arrested by his enemies. He was tried in a kangaroo court in the house of the high priest. And we pick it up in John 18, in the reading we had earlier. Oh, not there yet. We'll get there. John 18, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. Later on that same night, Peter was still standing there warming himself, so they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenging him, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? And Peter again denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Three times, Peter denied Jesus, his master. Total failure. Peter had utterly failed Jesus. All this boldness turned out to be empty bluster at the point where it counted. Peter was found to be an unfaithful coward. All that he had lived for had gone up in smoke. And it wasn't even as if he had been taken by surprise and that he had the excuse of being put on the spot, on the spur of the moment. Jesus had told him very plainly what would happen. 
Peter had every chance to be prepared. If ever there was a failure, it was Peter. If ever there was someone who had lost everything, who had come to the end of the road, it was Peter. And yet that wasn't God's perspective. Because now as we come to the passage we had read to us at the beginning, Peter decides to go fishing. That's a significant fact because Peter and his mates were fishermen before they met Jesus. He's going back to the beginning. Jesus appears to them but apparently they didn't recognise him. Now this is after Jesus had died and risen from the dead. They didn't recognise a resurrected Jesus. They'd been fishing, they hadn't caught any fish. Jesus tells them to throw the net down on the right-hand side of the boat. They do that and their nets are full of fish, full to breaking point. Now again, that's a hugely significant little fact because the exact same thing had happened three years previously when Peter first met Jesus. You see, what's happening here is that Jesus is winding back the clock. Jesus is giving Peter a new beginning. In effect, he's saying to Peter, I want you to start over. I want you to start over. And then after they eat, Jesus asks Peter to feed my sheep. What that means is that Jesus is asking Peter to look after his people, to be their leader. Jesus is reinstating Peter. And then look at Jesus' final words to Peter, 21 verse 19. He said to him, follow me, follow me. And once again, that's exactly what Jesus had said to Peter at the beginning. Jesus could not have shown Peter in a more powerful way that he was forgiven that his failure was not the end, that God still wanted him, that God could still use him. Peter may have given up on himself, but God hadn't. And friends, this story is wonderful news for you and I because it tells us that whatever you may have failed at, Maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I'm a failure. Not to God, you're not. You may have given up on yourself, but God hasn't. There is no failure too big or too bad for God. Peter fell about as far as it was possible to fall. Given the amazing privileged position he was, he, he knew, had inside running knowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew about his plans to save the world through his death and still he failed. 
And yet God's forgiveness is big enough even for Peter. And it's certainly big enough for you and I. This story of Peter is possible because of a bigger story of what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He had to die because of the failure of you and I and every human being. And that failure is our failure to love God and recognise him as king and to follow him. That's a failure that left to ourselves, there's no coming back from. If it was up to us, that would be the end. But with God, it's not the end. That's why Jesus had to die. He paid the price for that failure. And what that means is that now there is no failure left to pay for. It's already been done. Jesus has already paid the price. But then that leaves us a choice. What's up to us is whether or not we admit that we've failed. Failure and admitting our failure is the road to forgiveness. But we we do have to take that step. We've got to admit that to God. We've got to acknowledge that we have failed in living for ourselves and that we need to trust in what Jesus has done and we need to acknowledge that he is king and we need to follow him. We need to do just what Jesus called Peter to do, follow him, obey him, live for him. I'm going to get the band up now While they're doing that, I just want to give a final word. If you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to say that's so good that you're here with us. Because you have taken the first step, the first necessary step in finding a solution to your failure, to acknowledging that failure, to giving that failure to God, that first step of making a new start in finding forgiveness in Jesus. And what I really want to do is to encourage you to keep taking that journey. There's a first step coming here today In a short while, we're going to see that there are other steps that you can take. And that involves, we're going to have a a feedback form that Aaron's going to introduce in in a few minutes. I really encourage you to consider doing Alpha that we heard about before. Or you might like to talk to the person who invited you. You might like to talk to me or, or one of the other leaders. We'd love to talk to you. I encourage you to indicate that on the form so we can walk with you, we can contact you and walk with you on that journey. And also encourage you to connect with a Christian community and walk with others as you make that journey. We would love to do that with you. Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you so much that you are a God of second, third, fourth and more chances. We thank you so much that you said to Peter, follow me. We thank you so much that failure is not the end. But we thank you that you turn that around and that you have done that through the death of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that we would find forgiveness and restoration and purpose and value 